I want to read. We made our way down to verse 7 of chapter 25 last time. We're going to pick it up in verse 8 and read down a little bit. And then, and then we'll dive in and see what he would say to us. Verse 8, notice it says, Do not go hastily to court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Debate your case with your neighbor, and do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation be ruined. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. Like the coal of snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds of wind without rain. Father, thank you this morning for the text that you've put before us. We know that your word is alive and it speaks. And so we ask that you would open our hearts to what it would say to us and prepare us. And Lord, I pray that you would prepare the that you would remove, I would say, the, the, the things that would hinder the cares of this life, the burdens of this world, um, even the distractions that would be within the room, that we may have this time with you. It would be a free time that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, ushers, if you can be sensitive to the coughing with some, we have some little water bottles. We had that first service at the beginning. So, if somebody needs that, just raise your hand. Maybe we can help you. Um, and don't be shy. We got them for you. We love, we love you that way. Um, it was my wife that started putting the bottles back there because people coughed. So, um, yeah. All right. So as we look at Proverbs, you remember as we started chapter 25, we kind of found this kind of a new, a new section of the book of Proverbs. It takes us from 25 all the way over to, to uh, 29. And it's, you know, the book of Proverbs, as I said, it speaks to every area of our lives. Nothing escapes us, your marriage, your finances, your business, your, um, your uh, you know, mismanagement of finances, maybe um, your slothfulness, if that's the problem. Anything that you could think of, your parenting, and it's all covered here in the book of Proverbs. And it's really wonderful for us to be able to see that. Um, these particular Proverbs that we're reading now were not even in the original um, a published version of Solomon's Proverbs within the nation of Israel. Verse one says that Hezekiah's men found them in the archives and they was like, man, this is good stuff. And they added it to um, Solomon's Proverbs and it got published. It ended up a part of the published version of Solomon's Proverbs, which is now in the canon of scripture, which is amazing in my mind because here are these men just serving faithfully there within the palace, discovering this stuff. And now we have the ability to glean from it. Um, which constantly speaks to me about the fact that God is in control. He is utilizing us in various ways and everything that we do can be done in his honor and have eternal weight and value to it. If you can imagine that we don't know what dude discovered these and we may not know his name till we get to heaven, but I'm so glad that he did. Amen. And so now we're going to look at these things. And as we jump into verses eight through 10, the first section of this, I would call this biblical conflict resolution. 
biblical con conflict resolution because we all need to know how to resolve conflict because we will all encounter conflict in our lives. And as believers, we need to do it according to the way the, that the word says, not the way the world says. Amen. And so the first thing he says here in verse eight is do not go hastily to court. Now, as believers, we already know that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, New Testament, I don't have it on the screen, but it warns us that we as believers should not be suing each other in the open court anyway, most often before non-believers. Because we, we kind of, if you will, misrepresent God in doing that. And, and, and why would it be that those who believe, those who have the word and the Holy Spirit and have been invested in our lives, why should we go before the open court and make a mockery of what God says as believers? And this can be very difficult for us most often. And I've been drugged into court as, as character witness over custody battles between two Christians. And it's, a, it's just damaging. And then the judge is sitting there looking at me here. I'm a pastor. It's two Christians, you know, fighting over things. And, um, and it's such a difficult thing when we begin to imagine it. And the Lord doesn't want us doing it. Well, here he begins to kind of give us an indication of some things that we can do to resolve issues in a way that protects ourselves. And the way we have to be able to do that is through patience and discretion. Off the bat, patience. Or you can say long suffering. Verse eight says, do not go hastily to court. Um, anything that we do hastily is usually going to end up bad. In other words, don't run off and be quick to do anything. And we've seen this over and over in the book of Proverbs that it's the fool that rushes in with emotions blazing and destroys a situation. But we shouldn't do that. In fact, as believers, we need to, we have, look, we are called to learn how to be patient in the Lord and learn actually to wait on the Lord and to settle down in situations and take everything to the Lord. You know, because when you get hot headed, you are in a dangerous place. But if you walk with him back over that Psalm I was quoting earlier, commit your way to him, commit your way to him, commit your way to him, trust him. See what we think is, no, I got to defend myself. I got to get what's mine. I got to deal with this person. You did this to me. I'm about to give it back to you. That's the flesh, and it's going to get us in trouble. Well, the Bible is warning, don't, don't be hasty because that's not going to go well for you, but rather settle down and take it before the Lord in prayer. And I love to, to, to think about it that way because whenever I've stopped and prayed, two things happen. One, my flesh has time to cool off because I'm praying and talking to the Lord. It's almost like when you start praying, somebody takes a bucket of water and throws it on the campfire <laughs> and puts it out. Everything calms down, you know, because you're now talking to the Lord. And what happens as you're talking to the Lord, as we're going to discover here in a little while, the Lord not only calms you down, but he gives you a clearer vision to be able to see your part in the situation, which humbles you a little bit. And then he also gives you the perspective of the other person so that you can have a little bit of compassion so that you're ready to deal with it the right way. When we settle down and pray first, God prepares us for proper biblical conflict resolution. Everybody follow me. And this is such a needful thing. Now, when you're dealing with non-believers, the same thing applies for you. Okay. And what happens is because you're learning biblical conflict resolution, when you do it the Lord's way, they're not going to do it the Lord's way because they don't know him. So when, 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 the, when, the, when you go to resolve the conflict, it's going to go better for you because you're going to have the covering and the favor of the Lord on your life. And I'll kind of hint towards some reasons why in a minute. But one of the hardest things for us to do as human beings 
is to be patient. Everybody struggles with this. Everybody struggles with this. Now, as a young Christian, I remember hearing people say, don't ask the Lord to teach you patience. <laughs> Y'all ever heard that, that mess? Hmm. I would like to say that's biblically wrong. The Lord is the only one who can teach you to be patient, but the Lord loves you, so he's not trying to hurt you. He's never trying to hurt you. Don't ask the Lord for this because it's going to be difficult for you. No, I, I, that's not been my experience with the Lord. My experience is that trials are going to come regardless. But he's going to teach me how to deal with things in a way that's going to be healthy for me. And it's going to cause me to be able to, as we were learning in Psalm 37, as I read earlier, to be able to delight myself. That's a process. You know, it's not about make yourself happy and be fake, as I shared with you last week. It's about learning to delight yourself by leaning and trusting in him and committing your way to him so that you can actually rest in him. Okay, so patience is necessary. Here's what the Bible tells us over and over and over and over. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You notice how it's repeated? Wait on the Lord is repeated. And I told you over and over and over and over, when the Holy Spirit repeats something in Scripture, it's because we as human beings are prone to not do that thing, and he needs to remind us over and over and over. Would anybody admit that you're not prone to be patient? Okay. All right. I'm, I'm the first one. So this waiting on the Lord is, is important. And in that particular reference verse, it says, and he shall strengthen your heart. And I need my heart to be strengthened to be able to just deal with the waiting part before I even deal with the conflict resolution, just the waiting to get it, get it done because I like to get it done. You know, and I don't look all this, all this mess long. Let's just, let's just go ahead and meet. I, that's why I love the Westerns. You got a problem? 12 o'clock noon. <laughs> You know, we just end the situation. There's no even no reason to wait. That, that, they, they, you know, this, whatever happens, happens kind of thing. You know, the Lord, like, no, 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 no. We need to learn to wait on the Lord because when we go in the flesh, what the Bible says in James, that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When you go in the flesh, you're going to destroy a situation. You're going to destroy a marriage, a family, a business, um, a career, fellowship with believers. When, you don't, when, you, when, you, when you're not willing to wait and let the Lord have it. Psalm 37 verse 9 says, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. I love that. In other words, the Lord's like, hey, just be patient in all things, because at the end of this thing, it's all going to be y'all's. I'm going to give you all, those my, my children, those my, my bride that wait on me and trust in me. You're going to inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. I love that. Psalm 37.4 says, wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt you to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. Same thing as we saw in the, in the previous one. And then the one everybody knows, Isaiah 40, verse 31. Most of you can, can quote it without me, but it says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I love that. In traditional church, man, these things are like cliches. And we just say them. And we do get some encouragement from that truth that is. But I like to dig into the progression, the pro uh, progression of how the Holy Spirit lays a verse out. And then notice the first thing he says is those who wait on the Lord. We have to truly learn to wait on him first. We quote the verse, but have we learned to wait? Those who wait on the Lord, those are the ones who shall renew their strength. How? By waiting. 
While you wait, your strength is being renewed. And we saw that in the, in the reference earlier. Then, because you've waited on him for the right time and right everything, and, and your strength is now renewed in him, and he strengthened your heart, then you can mount up. You can't mount up until you've waited and been strengthened. Why would you mount up when you're weary and worn out and confused? You can't mount up then. You've got to learn to wait on the Lord first. Let him have his way in your heart. Then you're strong enough to mount up, and then... You, you have wings like eagles and you can run and not be weary and you can walk and not faint. And so there's a progression to the whole thing. And so for biblical conflict resolution, one of the first lessons we need to learn is patience so that the Lord can work the thing out in a way that only he can before we make a mess and destroy the whole thing. Everybody with me? So you got to have that if you're going to be able to resolve conflicts that arise in your life. Now, the second thing I want to point out in these verses is that you also need discretion. Now, I'm going to come back to the latter part of verse 8, but go to verse 9 where he says, Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another. Y'all catch that? It's beautiful verses. Discretion is what's needed. Here's what discretion is defined as. It's defined as the quality of behaving or speaking in such a way as to avoid causing offense or revealing private information. And Proverbs talks a lot about discretion. It even says a, a beautiful woman with no discretion is like a pig with a ring in his nose. <laughs> I think I got the verse right. Y'all remember from several verses ago. So yeah, anyway, a beautiful woman with no discretion. He's trying to make a conflict, a uh, contrast there, but discretion is so key because discretion goes with the people of God. The way we conduct ourselves, being patient, not hot-headed, then having discretion. And when we have discretion, then we can, we can not only wait, but we can speak in such a way that's, if you will, calculated and led of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what he's given us in the verse, because he says, uh, debate your case with your neighbor. In other words, and don't tell the secret to anyone else. This is the difficult part for us using the discretion, because our natural tendency is, well, let's go get some people to pray for us about the situation. But in prayer, all we're doing is telling other people the situation. In human nature, you're going to talk about it more, as much as you pray about it. And so he's saying, no, 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 discretion. So not only do you need patience, you need discretion. You need to keep the matter to yourself and first go have a conversation with the person. And this is where a lot of communication breaks down. Conflict doesn't get properly resolved because too many people are now involved in the situation, which actually adds more complication to the whole situation. So what could have been resolved is now escalated into more because it was no discretion put in it at the first place. And Jesus even teaches us this as, as New Testament believers. Jesus says, moreover, Matthew 18, 15, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. Thank you. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. So Jesus says this, discretion, keep it to yourself. Go have a face to face. And this is very important. And there's a reason why I think you need to have a face-to-face -face because and I'll get to it in a moment, but, but what, we, what we like to do is get people on our side, have people uh, help us feel like what, that it's not our fault and it's, you know, it's, it's part of the other person, you know, it's their fault only and, and all this kind of stuff. And when you're mad and in the flesh, you can't see anything but what the other person has done to you. And so it's very important that we first be patient Second, exercise discretion because these two things in biblical conflict resolution 
will protect you in the end. Well, what do I mean they will protect you in the end? Well, if you go back up to verse 8, he says, do not go hastily to court. Here's why. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? You see that? Well, how can he put me to shame? He's wrong and I'm confronting him. Hmm. Well, the reason is, is because in any conflict, you are as much as of the problem as the other person. Now, remember, Jesus says your neighbor is not the person that lives beside you, by the way, if you're new to the Bible. It's whoever's around you. Okay, so there's neighbors in the room, neighbors on the road, neighbors in the cubicles, neighbors in the shop, wherever you are, the people around you are neighbors. Okay, the, pro the point is, though, that you got some skin in the game. Why do I know that? How do I know that you're part of the problem? Because the Bible says in James that where do fights and wars come from among you? Do they not come from your, your members, that, uh, from your, um, your selfish desires that warn your members? That's what he says. In other words, your selfish desires are warned against the other person's selfish desires. Maybe they're 90% right. I'm excuse me, 90% wrong, and, 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 and you only did, but your 10% is that you want to fight with them because you don't like it. That in and of itself is part of the problem. Okay, so there's, a, there's wrong on both sides. And he's saying, hey, if you go running into this thing all hastily, when it all comes out, you might be put to shame as well. And that's why, notice he, he says in verse, 11, uh, verse 10, lest he who hears it. In other words, you run to take it to court. You're going to blast it out. Lest, lest he who hear it exposes your shame. You made it public and your, your shame is going to be public. Because you didn't use discretion or wait and get your heart right with the Lord so that you could go into it with a balanced, Holy Spirit, level-headed way of having conversations with someone. Lest he who hears it exposes your shame. And that's what will happen. And see, here's the thing. This is why you really need to, to let the Bible give you an understanding of how to resolve conflict is because we live in very, very dangerous, deceptive, and volatile times where people are, if you will, um, blasted out on social media so quickly and shamed and canceled and all this kind of stuff. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And it gets really, really bad really, really quick. It escalates before you know it, and, and it can go to hundreds and thousands of people before you even get a handle on it. When if you had done what Scripture says, it could have all been avoided. And see, here's the thing. I like what Jesus says. Jesus said back in that verse I referenced, he says, go and tell, um, uh, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And let me say, biblically speaking, I believe it means face to face. Because we live in a time where if you think your text message is going to be private, you know how many conflicts I've seen arise where the screenshots of the text messages are brought to the table. You know, well, pastor, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so. But then look, the text message says, you said this. I was like, well, you know, or then the emails get printed off. Facebook gets printed off. The footprint is there. And you can't get any of it back. Man, I, I, I think we should do it what Jesus said. Hey, you know, set up a meeting. Don't fire off any. You know what? The last thing you should do when you're mad is fire off a text. I, don't, I think the Bible is warning you. Maybe it's going to save somebody's whole situation this week. No electronic communication. You know why? Because I'm hot. And I need to go pray. And while I'm praying, what the Lord, Holy Spirit is very, very careful 
to speak to you in a very subtle way and say, here's what you did wrong. Here, here, and here. This is your part in this situation. And if you hadn't done that, this wouldn't have blown up over here. But Lord, 80%, yes, 80% of it is this person possibly. But this 20%, this is the 20% of yours that's, that's going to get exposed to everyone. And so you notice he says in the verse again, verse 10, lest he who hears it exposes your shame and look at the next part and your reputation is ruined. And that's the reality. And in the times we live in, that's very easy. So the Bible says you need to be careful. You need to pray. You need to get your heart right before the Lord. And then you need to have a personal upfront face-to-face conversation about the scenario and try to resolve it. And so here's how the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit prepares you for the conversation this way. You go into it saying, look, you know what? The reality is I know I was wrong here and I shouldn't have said that to you. That's the humility of the Holy Spirit. Everything is being de-escalated. It's like the air is being let out of the balloon, if you will. You know, the hand off the detonator. Everybody's calming down now. Yeah, you know, I, I shouldn't have said that. But, the re, you know, but look, you know, this is what you did and this is why I got so upset. You know, and then uh, the person then seeing your humility has an opportunity to then also utilize humility. Don't you know the Bible says that a quiet answer turns away wrath? Like the Bible teaches us how to do it. We just got to apply what this says in these situations. And see, you are the believer. So you get to sit in a place like this on a Sunday morning because Sunday morning is where we get built up and get momentum for the week. Okay, you follow me? So you get to take what you're hearing here with you to work tomorrow. And when the blow up happens, you can remember, well, quiet answer turns away. Rav, let me find a, a cubicle or a corner of the building. Let me go somewhere and just begin to pray and, and whatnot and seek the Lord. And don't be so quick to get nobody else involved. And look, this is what's going on down here in this department. They don't need to know that. They got issues in their own department or on their own job. Take it to the Lord first. Get yourself right. Use discretion and then have the conversation. Because when, when, when your part comes to light, you will be shamed. And so this is what the scripture is saying to us. And I'm hoping that it's for somebody in the room today. And if it's not something you're going to face this week, you will at some point in the future. Hold on to it. Um, let's continue. Verse 11 through 13 kind of speaks to the power of just communication in general. In general. You know, um, our words are so important. Verse 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. I, you know, I, I guess I'm a man. It, it kind of comes across. Ladies, imagine, though, uh, the, a, a solid gold, a, 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 something solid gold the size of an apple. And notice what it says here. It doesn't say an apple. It says like apples, plural. Y'all catch that? So pure gold apples in a, a, a pure silver bowl set on a, a pure silver platter. And you got that in your house, ladies, centerpiece of your dining room table. You had to hire a security guard to watch your house at all times. Imagine, I mean, that's, it's millions of dollars just sitting there. It's beautiful. You're taking each one of these pieces of gold out every day and dusting it and just looking at it. It's amazing. You're inviting people over for unnecessary dinners just because you got it, you know. But you can, it would be very valuable to you is, is kind of what he's hinting towards. And so something very important, very valuable to someone. 
Um, everybody in here, something that you have that's extremely valuable, priceless that you wish you had, you can imagine that for a minute. And so it's comparing something like that at the beginning of the verse to a word that is fitly spoken. This word fitly spoken is amazing in and of itself. I guess it's often in the, in the Hebrew, uh, only used one time in the Old Testament. Um, and its root meaning is to revolve, actually. Doesn't quite make sense at first. To revolve, to turn, or a season. That's what it means. To revolve, to turn, or a season. Um, kind of makes you think about the course of a day, the course of a year, or the process of time, if you will. Um, its biblical uses, usages are um, circumstance, condition, or, or, or just timely is another one. And so it speaks of a word spoken in perfect timing in the right season and how powerful it can be when that happens. A word that comes forth at the right time, the right season, that speaks to the circumstances perfectly is a powerful form of communication and can be a complete blessing to the person who receives it at that moment. Um, sometimes a word fitly spoken is just a word you can actually understand. Anybody ever been in a place where you're surrounded by people who do not speak your language? They speak a different language. And you need to communicate something and you're having difficulty getting them to understand you. I remember being in Columbia and I walked in this store, we were on a missions trip, I walked in this store, I needed a battery for something, that something just went dead, batteries dead, I needed those batteries for whatever we were doing, and I went in there, and me and the dude behind the counter had some dialogue, and, and I, you know, I was using what little Spanish I had to, to walk him through what I needed. I needed two AA batteries, that's all I needed. And this was a long conversation to get to that and he finally got it and it was a blessing when he finally got it because if you can't communicate to someone, um, you can't relate to them, you can't get import, important things across to them, you can't even share the word of God with them. You know, and I think about a word fitly spoken. Let me give you an example, a real life example of a word fitly spoken. My daughter and I like to go to breakfast together now. We got a little place we go, I won't mention it and um, we were there yesterday having, having, um, having some, some breakfast and um, this lady was standing behind us, you know, and, and she kind of was there most of the time moving back and forth. I couldn't figure out why she was there. So on the way out, I, we, we go to pay um, for our meal, and she's there. So finally, I was like, you know, she keeps getting highlighted, so I'm just going to say hello to her. And she just smiles at me, and she doesn't respond. And that went on for a couple of times. And finally, she said to me, and, you know, with a, a muffled voice that was kind of off, I'm deaf. I was like, oh, and then all of a sudden I got excited and I did this to her. I don't know why, it's all I know, you know. <laughs> and I, I'm calling my daughter over as I'm saying to her, um, and I'm saying slowly now, do, do you read lips? And she says, a little bit. I said, my daughter is learning ASL and she's coming over. So Lydia comes over and Lydia knows more words than me and more stuff. So now they're dialoguing. I'm paying for the, um, the meal. And when I turn around, they're hugging each other. So a word fitly spoken. Here's this woman in a noisy room, but to us, quiet to her, and no real communication. She's a hostess and she's just showing people to their table, but she's not able to really interact. And for her, just some dialogue at that moment was enough to let her 
know that you no, know, she's seen, she's cared for, and someone actually wants to interact. And it was an amazing moment as I think about this verse. And then my daughter and I were able to discuss this verse that I was prepping for, um, just to kind of show her how you know these things that we what we, we we do as believers are more important than we realize, because we are the people who actually have the Word of God. And, and I'm getting ahead of myself, and and can apply words in in the perfect situations as the Holy Spirit leads, like a lady did on the sidewalk with me between the two services. She gave me a word from the Lord. I knew it was from him because it was confirming what was already going on. But here's the thing. Let me look at it this way. Jesus is the living word. Amen? I believe he was fitly spoken. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. In other words, uh, the earthly life of Jesus was a, it was a fitly spoken word of God into humanity at the perfect timing within the season that was necessary because God knew exactly when his son needed to show up. It's a beautiful thing for us to begin to think about, a word fitly spoken. You see, in one sense, God provides a fitly spoken word because he knows exactly, listen, exactly what you need from him whether it is encouragement, whether it is correction, whether it is comfort, whether it is rebuke. And therefore, when you get a word from the Lord or receive a teaching even or a word from a brother or sister like I did outside between services, it's from the Lord and it's fitly spoken into my life at the time and according to the situation that I'm going through. It's, 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 it's seasonal. It's the perfect time and season and place just right in my life. And this is what we need to know. Um, I believe, listen very carefully, I believe that God speaks to us. We just have to learn to listen to his voice. Somehow Paul had learned to hear from him. It was Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 23, not on the screen. Paul says, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me in Jerusalem. Paul was hearing from the Lord through the body of Christ as well as in his own personal time, the Holy Spirit was testifying of the things of God. Paul said in another place to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 1, he says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Paul says, concerning the last days, the Holy Spirit is saying this. It's amazing when I read through the book of Acts or the New Testament and the apostles are saying the Holy Spirit is speaking. And he speaks to those who belong to him. If you're, if you listen, if you're sensitive to, or maybe let me put it this way, if you're taking time to train yourself to listen to what God would say as you spend time in his word and as he speaks, he'll speak to you in the moment, on the job, in between meetings, guaranteed. He'll speak to you in the meeting. I'm trying to tell you, I've, I've done it 11 years at First Citizens Bank and those last five, he did some amazing things. He will speak. And I think we need to understand that and we need to be very, very sensitive to that. Um, let me continue because I, I want to finish these. All right. So verse 12, notice in verse 12, it says, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. Here we go again. An earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold. We kind of get the understanding of that. 
And speaking of decorative, you know, jewelry, if you will, to some extent, but often in the Old Testament, what you would find is when someone wanted to honor someone because of something that they did, they would then put a ring on their finger. You see that sometime in the Old Testament or a chain around them or maybe even a nose ring. They would give them a nose ring sometimes, you know, just want to honor them because they were special to them. We even see that when Jesus talked about the prodigal son when he came home and his father cleaned him up, gave him a new robe and put a ring on his finger. His older brother's like, this dude just spent all your money and you're going to put a ring on his finger. Well, why did he put the ring on his finger? Because he was his son whom he loved. Simple as that. He didn't, he didn't earn it. It was just he was, he was the father's son and the father loved him. So he honored him in that way. And we know that. And so that's kind of what it speaks of in a sense. So let's go back to the verse. Well, if that's the case, a, 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 a piece of jewelry of honor being given to me. Well, it says that for a person who has an obedient ear or has an ear to hear the things that God is saying is open to what God would say in their life. That person even sees a wise rebuker as something that is honorable, even a desired thing to hear from someone who might give a rebuke because of love, though, not to tear you down, but because they actually love you, they would rebuke you to somebody who has an obedient ear who wants to hear what God will say. They will receive it in that same way. Isn't that something? You know, but we got to be careful because a lot of times we, we can say amen to that but we find it very difficult. It's hard to be that person all the time. But man, if, 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 listen, if God wants to rebuke me, he wants to rebuke you and he sends someone to do it and you know, you, can know, you know it's the voice of the Lord and you can receive it obediently, that is amazing discipleship. And that's someone who God is gonna do amazing things with. Proverbs 27, six says, faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. Solomon's saying it's better to get a rebuke from someone who loves you than to get, uh, if you will, be exalted by someone who actually hates you. Okay, because at the end of that is going to be even worse. Um, and so, yeah, we, we should be able to hear that. This is what he's describing here. To someone who has an obedient ear, the rebuke of a friend is very, very important to them because they know that they can hear it, they can receive it, and they can grow from this. And so words are very powerful. And if we're open to allowing God to speak to us in various ways, he can speak to us. The Holy Spirit can speak uh, directly when you spend in time with the Lord or through another person. And you can hear the direction of the Lord that way. Verse 13, as we get ready to close out, verse 13 says, like the coal of snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Now, when you begin to think about that verse, right off the bat, the expression doesn't immediately uh, catch us or give us understanding. Maybe we don't quite get it, but from, for Solomon, if you will, you know, if you look at the verse again, from Solomon's perspective, like the coal of snow in time of harvest, a lot of times what they would do in ancient times, especially towards the mountain region, if they could get the snow and pull it into the dark and the cooler caves and keep it longer. And we know that if you live in places where snow comes uh, occasionally in the shade, it lasts for weeks. Y'all know what I'm talking about? In the shade. And then when they push all the snow up in mounds, it could be a month later, and this, that snow is still slowly going away. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So they would harvest it, if you will, because what they would do is use it to cool stuff down. 
and they would put drinks and stuff in it or maybe barrel, you know, barrels of the, of the grape juice and stuff, whatever they could to keep it cool. And it's amazing. So what he's actually saying is it's that imagery of a cold drink that is refreshing, if you will. And then particularly in the harvest time when you're, when you're working and you're hot, and maybe, maybe you gotta, you got to kind of get some understanding. Hopefully, most of you have worked or done something. You know, growing up, for me, that might mean priming tobacco uh, in the heat of the day or, you know, digging potatoes, and you're sweating, and you're hot, and you just want to get to the water hose because that's what it would be. <laughs> no ice, no cooler, just a water hose. Or if you're playing football in July, and you're running in the heat, and that Gatorade cooler that the coach has that you can't get to until you finish your suicides is like the best thing on the planet at that moment for a young man is running. And so what he's getting at here, he's saying here that like that refreshing thing, the same way a faithful messenger is to those who send him. Now, remember ancient times, y'all, I'm almost done. There was no email, emails or cell phones, no Zoom calls. And therefore, King Solomon, when, when, when he needed to get his message to, he's dealing with foreign affairs and, 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 and um, national security issues. And he's managing labor forces and stuff. You go back and read in 1 Kings. He's got major projects going on all over the place. And so he's sending out his messengers and he has to wait months to hear from them before they would bring a word back about how things are going. How's the project? Did the guys on the battlefield survive? Are the supplies going to make it on time? What's going on? And he's waiting for that word. And then that messenger shows up and says, all is good. It's amazing. Side note before I go on, one of the reasons we know we're in the last days is because of how fast things happen and information travels the globe. A uh, hundred years ago, it still took months to get supplies from California to, to uh, North Carolina or back. Just a hundred years ago. Imagine that. Yep. And months to travel from region to region. You can go around the world in a day now. And information at your fingertips. And this is what the Bible told us the last days would look like. Just a side note. This is one of the reasons things have rapidly changed in just 100 years. Everything. Travel. Information. Everything that the prophet said that had to happen in the last days were not possible 100 years ago. That's how we know that we're in the last days. Plus there was no Israel. A hundred years ago, end times prophecy could not unfold. It, it, it was not possible for it to unfold. You understand what I'm saying? This is how drastic things have changed. I haven't talked about this in a long time, and I'm getting over time. Bear with me, though. You got to think about that for a moment. You got to think about that right now. I don't know if we're doing it today or not, but right now, AI is, is, is translating what I'm saying in other languages and the delay is less than a second. Now, that's a scary thing to me. I'm thankful we can use the technology for good, but I'm trying to tell you, that is, that is so scary. Technology has advanced so fast. Now they're gonna try to use AI and merge all of it with DNA to, to accomplish some crazy things that sound like Revelation 13. You know, so I, I know I got way off. So we're so, <laughs> we're so far into the last days, it ain't even, it ain't even uh, funny anymore, man. It's, 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 it's just amazing. All right. So then, a faithful messenger is refreshing. A faithful child, a faithful employee, whatever the case may be, um, 
is, is refreshing, especially from Solomon's point of view. It's refreshing the souls of his master. You see that? But for a minute, I want to I imagine this from God's point of view. Stay with me for a moment. From God's perspective, we live in very dark times, as I just described to you. Which is why I always tell you not to trust anyone in the pulpit, but learn the Bible for yourself. Because there's so much deception and so many false teachers of all types of heresies going around right now. So from God's perspective, how refreshing do you think it is when one of his servants, his messengers, just stands and actually teaches what he says in his Bible? Imagine how amazing that must be to him. That's what he desires, that those who are called by his name will proclaim his truth without compromise in the times that we live in, without the world influencing you and trying to make you feel or think as though the truth of God's word is not enough and must be altered to fit them so they don't feel bad. You know, God just wants the truth delivered. I just, he, I just want the message that I sent to be delivered to the souls that I created so they can know my truth. Imagine that from his perspective. Uh, Paul said in first, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 through 14, he says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, the truth of the word and the pattern of ministry is what he's saying. Keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. You know, the word keep means to guard it. Hey, what's been delivered? What was delivered to me? My grandfather, Pastor Chuck, different ones pouring in. I keep, I guard. And then as Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2 chapter 2, verse 2. So it's 222, 2, That's the theme of our discipleship. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will teach others also. You know, it's, a, it's been a passing the baton, passing the baton for 2,000 years, passing the baton for 2,000 years. I believe that from a, a relay analogy, we're running the fourth, the anchor leg for the church. I believe because of the times that we live in, 2,000 years, I think we're running the anchor, y'all. And God chose us to run the anchor. I ran the anchor in high school. You don't put the guy in, at the anchor unless he can, he can carry the thing through. You know, he can not just hold on, but bring the victory. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what you put. He chose us to run the anchor. We thought we were slow. But he put us in the anchor of the relay, I believe. We have to be faithful messengers with his word. Deuteronomy chapter 32 Verse 2 and 3 says, let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. That's what we're doing. That's what we're called to do. Tomorrow, wherever you go, that's what you're called to do. We're running an anchor leg, I believe. We got to be faithful messengers. You can't let them tell you that you have to change the message just because somebody wanted to change their gender and you might offend them. No, love them with the truth. 
God loved you the way he created you. His plan is for you to be that way because it's best for you. And he wants to save your life. That's why Christ died to pay for, pay for sin, your sin, all of our sin. Amen. You know, it's not a, it's not a difficult message. It's actually very simple. It's, it's, it, and God made it simple so we wouldn't have to complicate it. You know, we need to understand, I believe, the times that we live in and be faithful messengers. We're out of time. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you today, Lord, for just your love towards us, Lord God. I pray that you would go before us and that you would keep us. I pray that you would, I pray that you would uh, protect our homes, our cars this week, Lord God. Provide us with boldness and strength and love, discernment, all of the things that are necessary for wherever we are and whatever things that we're dealing with. Lord, until we meet together again, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.